I love using the simpler with samples that I've made from like the verb of a guitar on a different song that I've had in Pro Tools that I drag into my little desktop folder, you know, into yeah. wherever its home is as far as like, okay, the, here's some weird textures. And then it's all iCloud, so I go into my other computer, bring them into the push, press convert into simpler, and boom, I've got my own synth that I've made. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. Hey, rock stars, it's your host, Lid Shaw, and welcome back to Recording Studio Rockstars, bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself. My guest today is Haley McLean a Vancouver-born producer, writer, and instrumentalist. Her musical vision, Texada, is a mix of original styles that infuse elements of transient pop, smooth, hypnotizing vocals, and her fantastic, soulful guitar playing. In doing my research for this interview, I found an endless list of YouTube videos with um, Haley playing stunning guitar and singing beautifully, everything from covers of Radar Love to Rocking Modern Country, and original songs with slam and full band productions. However, her newest music seems to also be an intentional departure from some of her country past. Uh, Haley is embracing the ability to produce pop songs with a computer using programmed drums and capturing synths and shimmering otherworldly guitars rather than just straight up traditional rock and roll. However, there's, uh, there's still some traditional rock and roll in there. Um, influences like Pink Floyd and stuff like you were showing me. Following her Texada Blue release in February of 2016, the track All My Life made its way onto both Canadian and U.S. Spotify viral charts, earning it over 2.8 million streams. And her self-made video for a remix cover of Walking on the Moon was a video shot and edited using only an iPhone. You did that all yourself, right? Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, over the past year, Haley has been building and performing with a custom live rig that allows her to bring the Texada project to life through a system of looping, keyboards, acoustic drums, and guitar virtuosity to create an engaging and diverse musical spectacle. Thank you also to Dave Kalmuski at Addiction Studios for making sure that I invited Haley onto the show <laughs> this summer during the NAM Festival here in Nashville. Please welcome Haley McLean to Recording Studio Rockstar's Haley, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, especially after that that uh, intro. Wow. All right, good. I hope that helps. I just want you to feel comfortable <laughs> and good, you know? Um, so like I said, the first thing I heard was this newer music, the Texada Project, where you're doing a lot of programmed stuff, and it really is like a nod to pop music, and, and you know, it's computer meets voice and synths and things like that. And then I, as I was going through, I started discovering, because it had mentioned in your bio that, you know, you were a guitar player. And I went through and started watching videos. At first, I was like, I wonder where the guitar is. And then I, and then I listened further and saw that, you know, you on YouTube. And I was like, holy shit, this woman really plays guitar amazingly. And um, so tell us more about, like, you know, your process. How'd you get started in all this? How did you, I, clearly, you, you struck me as somebody who is really, really excellent at you at playing guitar and singing at an early age? Um, I think, uh, I mean, I've wanted to produce music before I even really knew what that meant. Um, 
my two older sisters always saying, I had a bit of an unconventional upbringing and we had a lot of time to do nothing. There was nothing to do. We were living on a boat um, really? for a Where? couple of years oh, on and off. In Vancouver? Yeah, in Vancouver. So I, so I was born in Vancouver and then every summer we'd take the boat for about two months and go up north. We go to uh, northern BC, sometimes Alaska. We did a big trip to Mexico a few times, did homeschooling. Was this a sailboat? Or, yeah, yeah. Or a my my grandfather sailboat. would call it a stink pot. A stink pot, yep. Um, a little sailboat, 45 foot boat that my parents got. It was a um it was a charter boat in Maui and a dive charter. So it, it was a bit it was a bit trashed and they uh they really know what they're doing on the ocean and and my dad's an awesome mechanic, so fixed it up and lived on that for a while. And my dad always had a guitar. He played guitar, has an awesome ear. He Big t- Jimmy Buffett fan? Not not so much, surprisingly. Actually, I think he he actively maybe dislikes Jimmy Buffett a little okay, bit. Okay, good. You know, it's good to just take a strong side one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. He is a big Beatles and Eagles guy. And my mom was a big is a big blues fan. Um, so we had that was really what we would do. We'd listen to music and we'd play music and we'd well, sing. You know how appropriate it is that I you're, know. you're sitting on my console there, the MCI, leaning back as we do this interview. I know. And, I know. It, and it's the it's the crossover right there because it did both the Eagles Hotel California yeah. and uh, Margaritaville for Jimmy Buffett. So the uh, when you told you're me stitching that stitching it together there. when you told me that <laughs> my uh, my heart was a little bit of flutter. Hotel California. I I always say I wish that I could hear that for the first time now. Versus like when I was a kid, I was obsessed with it. When I was like six years old, I was like, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. If I could just play this solo, then then life well, is easy. It's one of those songs that when I sort of went back to it and listened to it again, which I'll admit was after I, you know, got the console too. Um, I felt like I wanted to know it better. And and listening to it, I realized I was like, you know, um, Joe Walsh is playing a Every two bars or something, or every bar, it drops in like an iconic, iconic. classic guitar guitar riff yeah. that is doubled perfectly on either side, yeah. and and they're and they're very like you could sing almost every single one of them, you know. Yeah, absolutely, it's incredible, and just even like the writing of that song and the meaning, you know, of of um, kind of excess and and as a kid, I I just took it really literally, and it was this awesome haunted hotel. Yeah. And as an adult, I can understand it on a deep, deeper level. And I just really wish I could hear it for the first time. I think I'm still struggling to understand it, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, I think, I think I'll always get to a new level with it. I mean, I know it's one of those classic songs where everyone's like, oh, you know, Freebird or whatever, but the, it's, it's that for a reason. It's, it's Hotel California's, yeah, probably, probably got me into guitar as heavy as I got into it when I was. Well, that's really cool. All right. So you guys are on a boat. Your dad's playing acoustic. You're grabbing the acoustic. He's showing you songs or you guys are just singing together until one day you're like, give me that guitar, dad, I'm going to play it. Um, I can't even remember when I, I, I think it was so far, like when I was so young that I can't even remember specifically ever taking it or, you know, he certainly taught me all the basics and, the chords, like I, I didn't really even realize that the chords I was playing had names until I was jamming with other kids when we moved back to land in elementary school. Um, Not many you, people can say when we moved back to land. <laughs> yeah, we're, I, I'm very grateful to my parents for giving us that experience. It, it kind of awesome. reminds me that I got a, a new cable hookup. And so like 
I have too many channels now, and and I randomly had a movie channel on as I was flipping around, and it was Waterworld. Oh yeah, Kevin Costner. Yeah, with Kevin Costner. I just remember that movie looking really copper. There's like a lot of copper colors. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't remember many people playing guitar. Not enough guitar though, and not enough Hotel California in that movie. But so so I digress. I apologize. Um, So so you're back on land with your family. And then is this sort of when you picked up an electric guitar and started getting into all that? Yeah, actually, I wanted to play drums, but you can't play drums on a 45-foot sailboat. My dad did, my mom and dad did get me um, two little bongo drums, and my sisters would sing, and we'd do three-part harmony, and my dad would play guitar, and then I'd be playing guitar and just, like, picking up the—we had tapes at the time, anything that was played. I just kind of learned—I wanted to learn all the parts. yeah. And then when we moved, uh, we rented a kick, a snare, and a hi-hat, and my dad rented an electric guitar, and we would jam when he would get home for work. Um, but I couldn't be playing drums all day because it would piss off the neighbors. So I was like, well, I'll pick up this thing and start playing electric guitar. And I was eight, I think, when that happened. And, That's cool. Uh, I love that I your dad was renting that. drums and electric guitars for you guys. Well, great, Long McQuaid, Canadian music store has good deals for renting. It's it's actually it's pretty awesome. All right. So um, was there a point that you remember getting sort of serious about guitar, like this is what you're going to do? Um, I always was serious about it, which is strange. It was never really um, if I would do music. It was just when and how. Um, my sisters, my older sisters, who are were my best friends, and they still are, um, they are really personable and they have fantastic voices. And I just kind of had in my head that we were going to be a band and we'd do this together forever because we were in a band and we had just grown up playing together. It was really natural and we were always together anyhow. Um, and so when I graduated high school, um, I said, okay, I'm going to put together like a tour and we're, we're going to do this and, you know, we'll write some songs together. We'll go in the studio. I can produce them. We'll figure it out. And they said, well, we'll do this for you, with you for a year. But after a year, we're going to husband down and baby up and you're going to continue. Husband down and baby up. You're going to continue doing this because you love it. And that that terrified me because I was, and still am, pretty awkward human being in general and uh, just extraordinarily stage fright, (laughs) which I'm maybe not so much stage fright anymore, but I definitely am still awkward um, compared to them. And, uh, so after a year they're like, all right, that was awesome. But you know, you go, you go along. So you see your two sisters who seem elegant and like, you know, totally at ease with the world, just, just sort of putting down the music and, and, um, is that what you're saying? And then, you know, deciding to do, um, if if I'm hearing you right, they sort of switched gears from the band thing to we're going to have families now. Yeah. And they're still, we're still musical together. Like our family still plays together. Um, whenever we can, really, whenever I'm back home, if we okay, can cool, get a little cool. jam in, or sometimes we'll uh, put on a family show and throw a party. But um, yeah, they they knew they just didn't want this full-time crazy lifestyle, and they yeah. wanted to be able to have a family. And I'm not sure if that this lifestyle is super conducive to that. You know? Right. It can definitely be pretty all-consuming. Yeah, but they and they were writing with me though, and they're they are creative in their own in their own right. Um, I'm probably more nerd creative, but um, yeah, I mean, they, they, we still sing together when we can. All right. So dig it. So um, at some point, you know, I saw a lot of videos of you producing music up in, I, I think it was when you were in Canada, um, a lot of country rock and stuff like that. Um, talk a little bit about that experience. Cause I mean, like your ability as a singer, as a guitar player, as a songwriter 
is exceptional. And um, did you sort of get recognized for, you know, for your musicality at an at a early age or anything like that? Is that part of your story? Um, as far as like professionally recognized? Yeah, yeah. I mean, did, was there a deal that came along or was there something? Did you, or did you there just was, decide you were going to put out your own music early on? Uh, well, my sisters and I started, started working together and then uh, like on a more serious level and, and touring around and taking meetings. And I had put out a video of me jamming on a uh, Les Paul that I think I was taken down when I got my deal uh, for X, Y, and Z reasons. But anyways, it, it had a couple hundred thousand hits and that kind of was a good thing to get into the door with, with my sisters. And I met, uh, we met a guy named Mitch Merritt, who he was the one who got me into production the way that I am and kind of opened those doors for me. We worked together for seven years and he's still a dear friend. Um, he had produced some of the biggest country songs in Canada at the time. And uh, he still is and kind of took us under his wing, took us to Nashville, the three of us, at which point my sisters were like, all right, we, don't, we are not really into this as hardcore as our sister is. And she's not, she doesn't have the balls yet to say it, but she is, nice. we can vouch for her. And Mitch was like, yeah, that's great. So Mitch um, set me up with a couple artists that he was working with, or an artist specifically named Chad Brownlee, to play guitar for Chad. And I played guitar for Chad for five years. Um, That's a pretty useful skill. You know, when you move to Nashville, Tennessee, if you can be a, if you're a really good guitar player, you can actually settle in quickly by finding other people to, to play along with and everything. It's just a good reminder of, you know, even if you want to come down here and produce your own stuff to start out, it's great to have that skill set that allows you to blend right in with what already exists when you get here. Definitely, yeah. I mean, wear as many hats as you can because it's a, it's a game of pennies, as we know, or it is for me anyhow. Yeah. And that's a-okay as long as I get to wake up every morning and, and make music. It's a pleasure having you on the show here. Um, to I want to talk more about and get into, you know, the kind of stuff you're producing now as well. Um, but before we get rolling, I like to ask our guests to share an inspirational quote to kind of kick us off and get us excited about hitting the studio. Have you got anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I do. The other day I was talking with my manager, Debbie Zavitson. Uh, we had gone to see a show, or I'd gone to see a show, or, or we were just feeling really inspired. And I was saying how incredible it is. And she said, yeah, the thrill of being moved, you know. And I was like, that's exactly it. That's exactly why we do what we do. That's what, like yeah. anyone in this in this creative realm, even in film, um, that thrill of being moved and uh, to move yourself should should be your compass. Because if you don't feel moved by what you're doing, how can you expect someone else to feel moved? That's good advice. I find that it's very easy to forget that at times, especially when. Well, I, I shouldn't say especially because I've only done it one way, but when I decided that I wanted to do all this music stuff and recording professionally, it was easy to get caught up in um, thinking that there were things I was supposed to do to do right. it right and, um, you know, go in different directions and everything and forget of all the, you know, forget all the things that just moved me to want to do this in the first place. So as soon as you said that about moved, um, I'm going to out myself here as a little bit of a grateful, a deadhead. <laughs> awesome. But I remember that, like, you know, listening to Grateful Dead um, and hearing it sort of hit this certain sound that it hits and this the certain performances, 
I remember, you know, it just like give me tingles in the car when I was listening to it. Um, Frank Zappa was that way for me too. And, uh, you know, I think that that is that, like for me, it just reminds me of that being moved by the music you're listening to. Isn't that the best? Inspires you to want to do the stuff yourself. Even just the little moments of, I'm sure you've had those recently when you're working on something and it's just, you know, the way the, the way the beat comes in or the way this tone feels when it hits your chest or whatever it is. Yeah. It's those little thrills, you know, as you're putting together a song, even, and I find too, like, I think it's a constant, a constant process of reminding yourself of what thrills you, Yeah, you know, because if, if it's not, if it's a song you may, you might not really like that you're working on, then I just try to find, okay, how can I make a moment then in the song with what I'm doing that I do feel thrilled that's and that kind of, you know, just keeps, keeps, uh, keeps the gas in the tank. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what drives us to work thousands and thousands of hours for nothing just for the thrill of it, you know, for the game of pennies. Mm-hmm. Um, not game, not to be confused with Game of Thrones. Everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, that reminds me of a couple of things. One is, um, I do remember discovering that there was, uh, by doing this profession, there was an opportunity to work on music and styles of music that I may not have liked as much, or may not have been the the thing that inspired me to want to do it in the first place. But then I was struck by noticing that I could I could still work on music at times that. The music itself might not be my favorite, but I really liked the people, and it was fun to work with them for a day in the studio, or that I could really focus on the craft of recording it well, right? and that that can actually be really satisfying, too. The di- yeah, the different, the different pieces where you can find a thrill, and sometimes that thrill is just like figuring out what was wrong in a troubleshooting thing, you know? Yeah. That little, like... 20%. Oh, my God, I got it. Good. That like little <laughs> release. fix the buzz on that bass over Yeah, down. yeah. I mean, whatever you can find to to be like, yes. Yeah. You know? Right. So, um, and well, I that's... can, I can relate to with the music. Cause that was, that was probably country for me. I never Eagles. I, I mean, like some people would argue that that was a little bit country. No, but that's a big difference from, you know, that classic rock kind of thing is way different from modern, modern Nashville country, country modern. Country totally. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, so that was sort of a, a new um, genre of music for you when you got into that. Yeah, for my sisters and I, we were kind of doing country. Yeah. It just it seemed like a place where we could play our instruments and and uh, write songs that were reminiscent of the music that we grew up on. Yeah, and still be able to. And you're quite good at it. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, all right. So you moved down to Nashville at some point. Was there a, was there a chapter you want to talk about in um, Canada before coming to Nashville, or do you want to tell us about your studio down here in Nashville? Um, I'm trying to think what, what is a good nugget of info? Uh, I, I was, I eventually was signed to a label in Canada, MDM, which is an imprint of universal. And it was a label that, uh, Mitch was involved in. And then, uh, my co-manager, Mike Denny ran and, and they're, they're, they're doing great up in Canada still. Um, I got a deal with them and then I got to co-produce a full record with the, you know, all the bells and whistles, which was such a great experience as a producer. And that was definitely out of all the experiences, the radio tours and the yada yada, the, the being in the studio was by far my favorite and yeah. the biggest thrill. And I kind of knew at that point, I was like, all right, whatever I have to do to do more of that more in the studio, more at the creative epicenter. Um, but in the email that you'd sent me with some questions about 
a, a good setback that you had. Right, right. You know, a a moment like of uh, an important failure. Yeah, and a, that was an important failure. And it wasn't a failure in, per se. I think I think that one song, uh, one of the songs, they go top thirty. Um, but there was a lot of excitement around it, and I and I believed the excitement. I was like, oh, okay, all right, this is gonna be. Uh, this won't be that hard then. I mean, not in the making of it, but once it was released, and I was attached to the expectations and outcomes of of the music that I was making. And that was such a good experience to kind of realize, like, it doesn't really, first of all, it doesn't really matter about the, the outcomes. It helps, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to wake up, and the first thing I'm going to think about is creating music. Yeah. And I'm still going to want to do this regardless of whether this tanks or whether this succeeds. And that was the aha moment too of like, Oh, this, I like, I need to make a buck, but I don't need this to be super, you know, crazy successful to feel fulfilled and um, to feel like I'm still wanting to get up every morning and chase down this thrill. Like I was on fire, you know? Yeah. It's like, if every day can be a day in the studio making music and enjoying yourself, that is the success story. That's the success. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. uh, if, while I was doing that stuff, uh, doing the country stuff, I was, I, a lot of that Texas blue stuff is old. Walking on the moon. I, I made in probably 20, 2012 or something when I, when I was just really getting to know pro tools and, um, and producing the record that, that I did the country record. So um, maybe we should jump into that. Uh, tell yeah. us about walking on the moon in that video. Oh, cool. that video. Yeah, I've got a good story about that. That was the first handgun I ever saw because when I was, there's a shot where this door uh, kind of breaks through and I had to accident from the outside. So I got this door, stuck it where the hinges are and the downstairs of the house that I rent with some friends and had a floodlight outside. I did this probably a little bit too late at like 11 p.m., and I guess someone drove by and saw some woman axing in a door and called the police. And so I come back in after like 15 minutes of some hard axing. And my roommate's like, hey, all the cops are here. And I was like, oh, fuck. all right, well, I'll just, I'll just walk out and, you know, tell them what was going on. I'm sure, I'm sure they're here because someone called and either complained about the, the loud chopping noise or the crazy axe lady. And this cop literally jumps out from behind a bush with a handgun pointed at me from about 12 feet away. Wow. At which point... Were you still filming? No, I wish I was. Too bad. I, I know, that was the thing. I had the, I had the camera like duct taped to a mic, to a mic stand. I, was, I mean, by camera, I mean iPhone. Um, I shot it on that eight millimeter app. I just wanted to see, I wanted to try the visual creative medium. medium. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And it actually kind of started by accident because I'd done the text data stuff and I figured, I wonder if I could do video and kind of use the same concept that I did for the, for the songs himself, which was just, just do it all alone and, and see what shakes out for the sake of learning and, and knowing the process more intimately on whatever creative, you know, side that is. And I'm never dressed up. I'm usually in sweatpants or some kind of like bag of a shirt or like I'm in now overalls. Um, and I happened to be dressed up. So I was like, well, I think I'm going to set it up and see what happens. So I started shooting the door scenes and then it took a long time because I had to figure out like, okay, what is the concept here? Like, what is the meaning? It's kind of like when you write a song and you have all these cool pieces, but there's yeah. no meaning 
And so you have to work extra hard at the end being like, what oh, does man. it mean? We were, we've been talking about that recently. The the inspiration to come up with the beginning of a song or like come up with a really cool chorus part or chorus lyric. And then the hard work of finishing out the rest of the song and yeah. writing the verse and like making it all make sense somehow. Totally. That's a challenging thing to do. All right. So um, you came down to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, you started a studio down here. Uh, you know, this first question you've sort of started answering, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, what is Texada? And how did you go from rocking out on guitar covers for Radar Love to the transient pop productions like All My Life and what you're doing now in well, the studio? That was happening at the same time. It was just one side had a label and a team and uh, a machine behind it. And the other side was just, at first I called them my PM projects. Um, then it just- As in like the later part of the day? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Come home and finish that and start working on these other songs because it it was, um, country wasn't enough to satisfy me creatively. And I mean, I, I along with the Beatles and Eagles stuff, we had, my, my mom listened to a lot of like Enya and- um, the early Sarah McLaughlin stuff, we had that tape on the boat because my cool older cousin brought it down to Mexico when she came and helped out. And uh, there was a lot of electronic elements that I liked. And you didn't have to have access to a really, really great studio all the time yeah. in order to make that. You just needed your laptop and a little bit of creativity and a lot of time on GearSluts forums. Right. To and learn YouTube. all this stuff. Yeah. So here's a sideways question, but I'm going to ask it because you're uniquely qualified to answer this. Can you have a laptop as a studio and be on a boat on the ocean? Yes, except salt sucks for gear. That's what I've heard. So maybe you can uh, hip us to anything we need to know about that. Um, I mean, I by the time I was doing music professionally and you know full-time and with my own laptop, let alone I wasn't really on a boat. So I can't speak to that specifically, but when I was younger, I thought maybe the ultimate thing to do would be to get a little sailboat of my own and make a little sailboat studio, Yeah, which would be super rad, and then just go up into Plus the middle of nowhere. Plus there's alliteration in that. Sailboat studio. Yes. Yeah, that is nice. But literally, if you had a laptop out on a sailboat, it might corrode into nothingness within six months or something like that. Isn't that, is that, is that a little too extreme of an interpretation? Probably a little too extreme, but I'm sure the fan would be a pain in the ass pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, I think it's more just, just if you had like a little interface and a little mic, you know. Now, what about an electric guitar versus a acoustic guitar out on a sailboat? Um, do the guitar strings corrode they, quickly? They do. Yeah. It, it definitely gets grimy quick. Um, we, I mean, But yeah. you just, you just grab up, scoop up a handful of fish guts and... Exactly, yeah. And just Put the sound in nature. You're ready to it. go. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you just you just fix it, like, when that happens. And yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you'd have to kind of gut it every once in a while, but I don't think it would be extreme, especially in the north, the water isn't as salty. Like, in the warmer water, the um, ocean is extremely salty. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. See, I'm learning all kinds of cool stuff. The rates stuff. of, like, you can hear the sea stuff growing on the bottom of the boat. It's growing so quickly. Like particles and everything. It's just like a constant. And rock stars, you thought you were just here to learn about recording music (laughs) in the studio. Well, think again. All right. So um, tell us about your studio here. What's it like? You, when we were talking before this, you implied that you like to really be productive with 
a simplicity of equipment and gear and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, it was, an, it was a necessity to be able to be productive with simple gear because gear is pricey. Um, and it is kind of how I learned to just going rogue and going on YouTube and figuring out, you know, how, how do you take a plug into the next level? Like, how do you take a basic software instrument? Don't you just drag it from one track to the track above it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I run it through an app, you know, yeah. or uh, put in different textures, like maybe record something with your iPhone that if it's the right thing, re record the sound of a street and put it through, you know, a million different things and automate the crap out of it and make it into a kind of cool drone tone and then change the pitch of that drone tone and print it and use the crap out of audio suite if you have a tiny brained computer like I do. <laughs> um, how about the the DAWs that you like to use? You said um, you're using a couple of different ones, right? I started on Pro Tools and uh, I got into Ableton about a year and a half ago uh, for live purposes when I was putting together the Tixata live show. And I really liked the um, vertical format that you can do in Session View. Uh, I got an Ableton push, which I adore. And now I pretty much, I create in Ableton and then like the bare bones of the track. And that's also a newer computer which can handle better software. And then I put that into Pro Tools. I'll either bounce it out individually or I'll just print it. I have both both computers running uh, all the time with two different interfaces. And I've been So running. there's still no like one button, magic button, you just push it and it just opens right up in Pro Tools yet? There, I should be doing rewire, but my old my Pro Tools computer is 2011. Okay, all right. So um, if you wanted to do that, Rewire would be the thing to check out. Rewire. There's another one someone was telling me about. Um, there's definitely stuff you can get that make them happily driving. It's one of those things where I'm probably doing it. I know I'm doing it a slower way, but it's the way that is fastest for me. Is happily driving going to be the title of your sailboat record one day when you finally get out it, oh there? Oh my goodness, it, it should be. Hat on. <laughs> Jibe though, be. Oh, Jive. yeah, happily jiving. Happily jiving. Actually, my daughter, uh, Saray, was just that. asking me about learning how to sail this summer. And so I was trying to teach her about like tacking and jiving. So there you go. Well, let, let me know. I'm getting into it. Let me know. I'll, I'll help her. Um, apparently, there's a place you can rent sailboats here in Nashville. I'm going to go right. check it out. Yep. Percy Priest. Percy Priest. Um, all right. So you've got Ableton Live going, you got Pro Tools going. Do you have scads of outboard gear for recording, mics and? And, uh, you know, processors and compressors and all that kind of stuff? I have a VTRC, Tegeler VTRC, that I got uh, probably three months ago, and I am deeply in love with it. That's I, the same thing I got right here. Yes, yes. It's, I, do, I put everything through it. Um, like I was saying, I run Ableton into Pro Tools, and as I'm bouncing them out, I now like to send, uh, I like to send the signal through the Tegeler. Into, the, into Pro Tools and just print into Pro Tools as if I'm using an analog synth. Very cool. Or, uh, you know. They're actually, is, so. Tegler Audio Manufactor is a sponsor on the podcast right now. Awesome. Yeah, and so um, I'm actually just getting to know this. The, the VTRC that we're talking about, Rockstars, is the very tube recording channel. Um, and it's got an input section where you can do microphone or line input, or you can just plug in a, a bass. Have you used it for bass yet? I've used it for synth bass. For synth bass? Yeah. Okay, cool. Just use the jack right on the front and go in that way? Yep. Awesome. And then it's got EQ built in and like a couple of different compressors. Yeah, it's fantastic. I have been, it's the first piece of outboard gear that I have. 
And so I've been doing a lot of like I'll record regularly and then send it in through the back and AB so I can really get to know that whole that, that piece of equipment and also just like the, the outboard like sound, even if everything's just flat, like how does this change the sound? And oh man, it is awesome. I definitely, uh, it, you get so used to using what you're using, yeah. you know, and I'm a creative engineer. I, I wouldn't, I, I'm good enough to mix something if I need to. But if, if I'm going to be releasing it, I'd rather send it to a mixing engineer. But for film and TV, I just mix it and it's, it's fine. Um, but A being what, what the Teagler does and just an analog piece of equipment versus what I've been using is incredible. Yeah. You know, it's been, yeah. it's been a really cool experience. Well, very cool. Well, maybe when I, I'm going to be making a video to go with this, kind of showing it off. Uh, maybe I'll call you up and see if we, if we can do some cool stuff with it or something. Well, let's do that. I was actually going to be doing that on Friday. Oh, all right. Well, I might not be ready on Friday. <laughs> well, let me know when you do. All right. I'll do it for sure. That'd be awesome. All right, cool. So um, maybe talk to us a little bit about how you like to record guitar in your studio. Is there, um, you know, you're playing both acoustic and electric guitar. Mm -hmm. Let's start with some of the traditional ways to get a just like a good full frequency recording of either of those instruments. What are some of the first things you would try to record? So when I was uh, when I was younger, using GarageBand, the first thing I tried, I tried a bunch of different things, and it was always with a, a 58, SM58, because that's what we had for our family band jams. And um, it's funny because I can really hear like learning the multi-track process before even knowing that was a thing, you know. And just like the whole the whole trial and error method. And then you get to the point where it's like, okay, everyone records in the 57, you know, and you find the right spot on the on the amp. I'm usually recording through a um uh bad cat. It's got a 115 in it. Okay, cool. Do you remember the SM58 and the SM57 sounding really different to you or very similar? Definitely very different. Um I think when I when I first was able to record something in multi-track it and then record the drums. Also, I was just so excited that I made something, you know, made a band by myself. I just, that was, that was awesome. And then it was just kind of a process of figuring out like, oh, what's this compressor on, on uh, GarageBand and what's that? And then meeting Mitch, who was able to be like, these are what these are, you yeah. know, that was super helpful too. Um, and to go and watch him work on Pro Tools and, and him just kind of shed some light on all these things that I'd heard about on on gear slots. Because a lot of times too, like you go on those those gear pages or YouTube, and if you're brand new, it's a little bit intimidating. Like it, it it's a lot of jargon and you know nomenclature that that you don't know yet. And so it's kind of like, uh, but if you can if you can take the time to watch the beginner stuff, you know, um, then then you'll be fine. But yeah, it was just it was just kind of like figuring that out and talking to other people and being like, oh, this is how everybody does it. Yeah. And, oh, yes, the way that everybody does it does sound awesome. Um, so I still use the same, I use a 57. When I first came to town, I had a little uh, M-Box, uh, what was it called? M-Box, not, not the m First one I had an M-Box Mini. That's what I got when I got Pro Tools. And I would just mic up the, mic up the guitar and go direct in, and then I started to learn waves plugins and when i first moved to nashville that was how i was able to afford the studio is doing session overdubs and more road gigs and i i still pretty much have the same system except i go through a focus uh eight pre claret it's got those two little decent preamps 
in the first two inputs. Mm -hmm. Um, and I still use the same, except now I go through the Tegeler. Nice. Um, so have you evolved? You said you're still using a 57. Have you like dabbled in multiple mics on a guitar amp or any of that kind of stuff? I mean, I'd love to have a 127, a Royer. Um, that would be amazing. But that is the next... Uh, that's, that's the next purchase plan. Yeah, yeah. That's that's That just is going to take a while. And um, yeah, I'm not financially... There's other stuff that needs more attention, like yeah. my old 2011 MacBook. There's a yeah. There's a lot of boring stuff that needs attention in studios. Like I need more headphone extension cables, and I need yeah. to fix the air conditioner. You know, and being like able, just being able to afford the rent. Like being able to have a studio that's not at my house has also been really helpful. Yeah. Um, Where is your studio? You over in Barry Hill. Barry Hill. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Two little rooms. Barely enough room for three people, but that's all I really need. I'm, I'm doing. You want to talk of, a little like, bit about your neighborhood though, over there and who some of the other cool people are that are around you and you know what yeah, that's like? It is such an incredible place to be. I, I can see why there's over a hundred people moving here a day into Nashville. Um, I just would never have the same opportunity financially to own a studio in LA or of course, New York. And not to mention how close everybody is. So in Berry Hill, we've got Blackbird, um, we've got Addiction with Cal Muskie and countless others. Uh, we're all so close. Pentaveret with Bobby Holland. Right. And so I see, pretty much see Bobby and Dave, Dave Kalmuski and Bobby Holland more than I see anybody because we're always working and it'll be like, hey, what are you guys doing? Do you want to go for sushi or whatever it is? Yeah. And so to be able to be so close where it's like, all right, I'll walk up or, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll be, I'll be cool. down in a minute. It's incredible. And just the things that you learn by talking and, you know, going and dropping in on and seeing what session they're doing. And that that is so amazing. And that is such a unique opportunity that we have here in Nashville. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, you describe walking around the neighborhood from studio to studio. It's also a neighborhood that doesn't necessarily have any sidewalks. You know, it's sort of a yeah. Nashville thing. Yeah. Uh, it's just that cozy. Everything's walking distance, but nothing's walking friendly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now let's talk about your guitar amp for a sec. So you said you have the the Black Cat, was that it? A Bad Cat. A Bad Cat. It's, um, Sorry about it's that. got two knobs. It's all you need, tone, volume. Um, I also have a Fender uh, uh, Deluxe Reverb Reissue 68. Okay. Um, back at home, I'm still trying to get my Vox down here because that was my, that was... Oh, Vox, what, AC30 or something? AC30, yeah. Nice. It was, that was kind of like the first nice amp that I got. That is a nice amp. Too. Um, when I was, uh, in latter high school and then an old hand-me-down DeVille that, uh, that my dad got from a buddy that's also at home. When you're miking these amps up with a 57, have you found some favorite spots where you tend to always like the tone? Yeah, with the Bad Cat, I actually like it a little bit closer to the edge of the speaker. And I like to mess around too with like putting the amp in a weird room and sometimes recording it with, uh, you know, a condenser from mm -hmm. somewhere else yeah. or just being creative with like, okay, I want, I want something really flat and woofy here. And so, are you able to put those elements in the other room so that what you're hearing is coming out of the speakers? Is that how you like to record guitar when you're doing yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. So in my, in my studio, I've got a little overdub room. And that way I can hear exactly what's coming out. I've got a little, the, the room is so small that anything more than five inch speakers, it's overkill. And I've got two little JBL 500 or five, five inch that are awesome. Okay. Is there anything to um, the thinking that you, you and your guitar want to be in the same space with the amp and that they should be near each other um, or anything like that? 
You know, when I go to a massive studio where they're so isolated, it's definitely, um, I find it more challenging because I get to feel the amp through the wall, which I know a lot of people would say isn't ideal because, you know, you're not going to be feeling it through through the, the little five inch speakers. Yeah, exactly. But it helps for creativity. I find that my playing is just a little bit more inspired. Yeah. And I mean, I'll listen to it after. And if I don't like it after, then I'll just redo it. Um, what about feedback? Uh, I don't have too much issues with that. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, like, what about good feedback with when you want feedback as part of your guitar? Tone? I think, I think they're close enough that it just happens. It just happens still through the wall. Do you, yeah. maybe you can just like open the door slightly and just let it come in too or something like that. When I really want feedback, I'll just walk into the room and go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they're close enough together that that happens. You know, it's like the, the, the Kemper, my roommate has the Kemper and he is the Kemper King. He's, the he's Kemper got it. Everything he does sounds perfect out of it. Like you, you, you know, it's, it's great. When I play through it, I sound like shit because I'm not used to, there's just a different response, Yeah, you know? Um, and I think the same thing goes for having the amp super isolated yeah, versus right. being able to kind of feel it through the wall and, you know. Well, I mean, comfort is such a huge part of performing and performing is such a huge part of making an instrument sound good. And then when the instrument sounds good, that's what makes your record sound good. So it's all connected. Um, so when you were recording the Bad Cat, you talked about taking your 57 and going closer to the edge of the cone. Yes. Um, and aiming it in slightly. And like, you mean in like angling it in towards the, towards the center, the center of, the of the cone? Yeah. Okay. Um, what, what are the things that start to happen when you move the mic too close to the center of the cone that you, that make you not like it and want to move it towards the edge? Um, it, I, I, it feels just a little bit more flat, I guess. Uh, maybe a little bit more woofy. And, you know, if that's what I'm going, sometimes I'll go from behind the amp and inside if I want something just weird and, okay, cool. you yeah. know, um, but as far as like a, uh, more, more clarity, I like it to be on the outside facing in a little bit. Do you know who Margaret Glaspie is? I don't. She's a um, really interesting artist, great guitar tone. Um, I recorded I her at, at Bonnaroo and she had me put a 57 on either side of the amp, which is something I've done before where you put one in front of the cone and then you put another one on the back side of it. Okay. Looking towards it and you just sort of flip them out of phase or pan them left That's and right. That's cool. And it's a really cool sound too, but... I should check that just out. Just thought of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, there's so many weird, cool things that you can do if you're looking for your quintessential just guitar, you know, yeah. then yeah. that's that's your way. But uh, well, now how about, a, how about quintessential acoustic? What are some sort of go-to acoustic miking techniques that generally seem to work for you? Acoustics, recording acoustics, like, are the biggest pain in the ass to me because my room is is not easy to move around in when I'm recording myself. I've got keyboards on either side and it's really not wide. Like these, like my, one of the rooms feels a little bit like a walk-in closet, <laughs> which is all I need. But um, having to be in the exact same position and everything is, is difficult. Ribbon mic on 12th fret and condenser on the, uh, near, more closer to the bridge. And then also blending with DI, if you have DI just so you have that option. Okay, cool. Um, sometimes there, there was like three times where I got a magic, uh, a magic thing happening just with a 57 on the neck or, or like facing at the 12th fret and then blending that with a DI. Um, 
the uh, pickups that I have are Fishman. Um, I can't even remember the model. That acoustic is so old and broken up. But um, yeah, I've I've gotten some some magic uh, magic stuff happening with that. But I can't seem to recreate it when I need. <laughs> I mean, it that's always one of the just, tough things about recording uh, and setups, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It just it kind of comes in when I'm like working on something that doesn't matter, and it's like, oh, there it is. I try to mark it up, mark it for like every little specific thing, what temperature the AC was at, you know. That's hilarious. But um, yeah, it just comes and goes for me. Um, when you're putting a ribbon on the twelfth fret and a condenser on the bridge. Is that something where you'll put them both in mono when you're mixing it back, or will you pan those two mics out from each other or I, anything like that? I put them in mono. Okay, cool. So yeah. it's just like a blend of those two tones. Yeah. Um, yeah. How and then important of course, is through, it through the Tegler? How important do you feel like it is when you're doing that stuff that the distance of the mic to your guitar is the same on either side, or, or is it a little bit more loose than that? Um, I'm a little bit more loose than that. Is I'm more like. If I hear it be having some phase issues, I'll, I'll play a bunch, play it right back and see what I think first. Because when I am doing acoustic, I'm in the same room Yeah, as and everything. When, and when you're doing acoustic, do you find yourself sort of, the mics stand still, but you just sort of move your body and the guitar around and, you, and you're like responding to where the sweet spot is for the tone for your acoustic? As much as I can, yeah. Um, and then if I need to move the mics, then I will do that because I'm, I'm in a really cramped space. Yeah. So I feel like with acoustics, I'm like, okay, I just want need to get this done. Yeah, right. I, okay. I'm always like sweaty and swearing and... <laughs> <laughs> and sushi lunch break is getting closer. I got to get this done before then. Yeah, yeah. I like recording other people on acoustics. I can put them in the other room and I'm a lot more picky about it. And I can look through the little window and see, okay, you're, you've moved too far here. Often I'll like make tape marks. Yeah. Where right. they, where like where their vision is looking down at the, at the neck and, you know, being able to have like little targets yeah, yeah. Um, do you use your iPhone and take photos of, well, I don't know. I assumed you had an iPhone, but I just mean, do you use your phone and take photos of stuff to sort of remember how things were set up in the studio a lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I find that super useful. It is. Yeah. It's really useful too if you're crazy OCD about leaving lights on. <laughs> oh, have you used the um, Tegler's um, recall plugin for that yet? I haven't used the recall plugin yet. It's so cool. I just used it. So I, I just made a new video uh, for the cream. Okay, and I and I used the plugin for that. It was it was really cool. I mean, like, um, I've used I've used it in Dave's studio. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. So Rockstars, what you do is you've you know you you set up the the gear the way you want, and it's not these two pieces of gear are not actually connected to the computer, but Tegler um, does make other units that like so the Schwerkraft Machina and the mm -hmm. um, Raumzeit Machina, which are actually digitally connected with an ethernet cable to the computer. But in these cases, the plugin is really simple. All you do is it's just an interface and you can turn the knobs, which look identical to the mm -hmm. actual unit and just kind of like, you know, three clicks up for the highs or whatever you did. Yeah. And, um, and you can document it really easily. So, th so yeah. it is a really smart and simple way to document and recall this stuff later. It's it's actually easier than taking a phone with my iPhone. You totally, know? totally. Yeah, and a recall for, you know, kind of voices, like a low male voice, higher male voice, you right. know, sharper female voice, darker female voice, just having right. all those like templates. So it's like, okay, now I can get started from here, you know? Yeah, I was thinking like in your case, like if you're bouncing a track in or, or sort of like running it through the outboard gear, just process a little more. If you came back to mix and you're like, oh, it's so close, but I wish I had done a little less of this, mm -hmm. you could pull up that recall and you could actually just run it, you know, make one slight change and run it back totally. through it again and it'd be no problem. Yeah. Um, 
All right, so now let's talk about recording acoustic and um, electric guitar and just give you a chance to riff on some bizarre, fun, cool stuff that you've done, you know, unusual ways to record it that you've been excited about. Anything, any cool stories about that you want to share? Um, I was recording an artist with, uh, she was playing Gretsch and she has a really unique way of, of playing with her right, with her uh, picking hand. Doesn't use a pick. Uses a combination of her nails, like kind of downstroke stuff and the meat of her fingers in a way that was just extraordinarily musical. Um, the kind of, You could tell that she had done a lot of playing just in her room not with the Gretsch not plugged in. You know how Gretsch is kind of its own beast? like Yeah, the hollow body yeah, with it's, the it's Bigsby, a, tremolo and it's, all that. It's, it's something that it, it's not like picking up a, a Les Paul on a telly where it's like, you know, obviously differences, certainly differences in tone, but generally the same kind of thing. Right. I feel like the Gretsch has a lot of little nuances and stuff. You can tell when someone has been playing Gretsch a lot. Mm-hmm. There's a different kind of way that you handle it, um, significantly different. And uh, I didn't want to lose that in the recording. I didn't want to just hear it through the pickup and the amp. So I set her up in the kitchen, which has a nice natural sound. And had had her cables going into the tracking room so you could there was no bleed and then recorded both the amp and her fingers like like the raw sound of just the Gretsch being played acoustically and then blending those that was kind of fun yeah that's pretty fun I love to do that kind of thing where you so you put the mic on the actual acoustic guitar or the mm-hmm. electric guitar that actually can even sound really cool even if you're playing something like a a Les Paul or a Strat you know totally you can, Kind yeah. of get this unusual aspect to it. There's a Rihanna song off the Anti record where you can tell it's a an electric recorded acoustically without any, not even blended in with the real thing. Yeah, and it's just got this this thing about it that's awesome, you know. And and just being able to mix those differently is nice. Like I sometimes I'll something I like to do if it's just a really raw track and the electric is kind of singing and doing its Bixby thing, um, I'll send. I'll send the the audio from from the recorded from the amp into a B3 plugin and then pan them both real hard. In the B3 plugin, I'll have something that's pushing the signal a little bit harder, driving it through a compressor or uh, one knob louder, mm-hmm. and then into the B3 and then you know adjust the drawbars as you as you wish and and even record automation with the. Uh, with the mod wheel for the um, how many spins that wheel? That, oh, right, yeah, you, you mean rotary? like speeding it up and slowing it down and stuff. Yeah, like that. and just and like separately tracking that, and so it just kind of has its own thing. Sending it through a bunch of reverb also before I go into the B three. So it's kind of like that. The B three is the last thing in that reverb chain, so it it kind of almost compresses the reverb signal and makes it sound like a different instrument. Mm-hmm. but with the same voicings as the guitar, which is pretty fun. And now is this a sound, if you're going to mess around with stuff like that, is it typically a situation where you want to be able to hear that while you're doing it and while you're performing so that you're performing with that sound? Or is this something that you would throw on a sound that already existed and, both, and, and hear it afterwards? Both. If it's if there's a lot of room in the track, then it'd be nice to hear it. But uh, sometimes I've just thought like, oh, this would be cool and done that. And I, I do it on all kinds of different things too. Yeah. Even if it's just like the one little tail off of a big kind of cruising snare, um, I'll just print that in and just kind of have it as a little effect. All right, cool. Uh, how about any unusual ways to record acoustic? Anything 
I mean, I know we already um, talked about a few, but have anything that's been like totally screwy way of doing acoustic that you've enjoyed recently? I think just that 57, you wouldn't think that it would be good, but given the right temperature or whatever freaky juju it is that happens that makes it great, um, I've gotten some awesome acoustic sounds with that uh, to the point where people will be like, what did you use? I'm like, honestly, DI and a 57, like nothing. Um, what about compression on acoustics? How often should or should we ever be compressing a, an acoustic a lot? Uh, I think there's always going to be a case where some kind of kooky thing like that would be awesome, just depending on, you know, what kind of song you're doing. I only like to put a little bit of compression on it, only usually because I'm using acoustics as wingtips on the very edge of the song, right. you know, or something where I want them to be a little bit more uh, tactful. Any favorite um, plugins that you like to use for compressors? Um, I just have the Waves plugins, and I use um, the CLA stuff quite a bit. Um, yeah, just miscellaneous Wave plugins. I feel like I'm still getting to know them in some level, but now with this Tegler, that's... Has that yeah? Have you found that the VTRC is great for recording acoustic? Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll, and I've been rerunning them into the into the VTRC, and then abing them and getting to kind of figure out what awesome. works best. And awesome. Well, um, we'll take a break for just a second. We'll come back in for the jam session, rock stars. I want to remind you that you can find all this stuff we're talking about here with Haley McLean um, in the show notes. So just go on your phone and click through, and there's a YouTube playlist where you can go check out some of these videos and the music as well. Awesome. So go check that out, and we'll see you guys in just a minute for the jam session. Hey, everybody, it's Lid Shaw, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of Recording Studio Rockstars. I really appreciate you, and I really appreciate your time. And as a way of saying thank you, I've created a special mix tutorial just for you, Rockstars, totally free, called the Mix Master Bundle. With it, you get over two hours of detailed videos watching over my shoulder as I mix a song in my studio. Plus, I give you the free ebook that explains how I recorded the tracks, and you get downloadable multi tracks so that you can practice your mixes, including the Pro Tools session file, using nothing but stock plugins in Pro Tools, all of which you would find in any other DAW, whether you're on Logic or Studio One or Reaper. Maybe you're struggling with trying to improve your mix technique, or maybe you just simply don't have access to multi track files or can't record a full drum set in your studio. I wanted to give you a chance to create your own mixes from full drum drum kit, bass, and guitars recorded in my studio. The song is called American Winter, and it's off my instrumental record, Skadoosh, and it's all available for you totally free right now. All you need to do to get it is go directly to MixMasterBundle.com, enter your email, and I'll send all the files directly to you. Thanks so much, Rockstars. We'll see you guys in the jam session. Cheers. Hey, Rockstars, we're back now for the jam session. My guest today is Haley McLean, and we're going to jump into more topics about guitar, recording in your DAW, singing great stuff, and her super cool live rig. So, Haley, you ready to jam? Hell yeah. All right, dig it. Um, let's, let's continue on this topic of guitar for just one sec. So right. I wondered if you could talk to the Rockstars a little bit about you know the importance of 
making sure your guitar's in great shape for recording and for performing. Stuff like, you know, do you have any tips on tuning? You know, do you want to talk about the importance of new strings versus old strings? Um, what do the rock stars maybe not know about something like intonation yet that you could kind of educate us on a little bit? Um, there are so many variables of, of personal taste. Uh, I think it's really important to know what works for you and to follow that compass. When, what moments do you find yourself playing the best? What was going on with the guitar? What, what was it that made you smallen that gap between, you know, thinking and expressing? Smallen is one of my favorite smallen. words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, that's not a word, is it? It is now. It is now. It's on a podcast. Here we go. It's legit. Um, all right. So, you know, that that's a good reminder too, because I think a lot of times, you know, if we're recording somebody else too, they show up with their guitar and their rig and we might have our ideas about it. Um, maybe some of our ideas are helpful to make their guitar better and maybe some of them we should just leave it alone because they know what they what they like. Totally. And if they if if you do have an idea, try to make it feel like theirs. <laughs> and then that usually is I like that. That's that's the more that's the giving version of if somebody else has an idea, try to make it sound like it was yours. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um so what about um what about tuning? Give us some good tuning tricks. How do we get uh you know, do we want our guitar in tune before we do this overdub? Um yes. Um, unless you're going around with some, unless you just want like a nasty sound, obviously, um, tuning, I am constantly just making sure that it's right there because a lot of times I'll be in the moment, usually I'm recording myself and I'll listen back and be like, oh, that was out of tune. And I've just gotten into a whole thing that I love and now I've got to go re-record it. And, right. you know, you can try to do the whole polyphonic thing in Melodyne, but that only works sometimes. You get all these weird artifacts and, um, yeah, that's that's definitely not a that's definitely not a cure. So just tune. All yeah, the time. so it's really easy in that moment of inspiration too, especially when you're starting with one acoustic guitar. Yeah, to get into something and start building it, and then only only later to discover that it's like you know ten cents flat or fifteen cents sharp or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Just, Which way is it? Is it usually fifteen cents flat or fifteen cents sharp? I mean, well, <laughs> if you have a Gibson, anything detuning is possible. Um, you know, my record. Um, Skadoosh, it's an instrumental record. Um, it's, it's a lot of guitar stuff. And I had tracked it with a guitar that, like, the tone, everything was killer about it. But same thing, like, later I found I was like, oh, no, it's like it's not in tune. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a Peterson strobe tuner right behind you. And oh, what yeah. I had to do was I had to figure out just how out of tune it was and try and find a new tone and then measure that actual number and put that in the notes so that every time I did an overdub after that, oh. I like offset the tuner, yeah. that amount of cents, you know, 24 cents and then, yeah. and then tune the guitars. That kind of helped, but it was still a nightmare to tune it. It's all, it's always an uphill battle. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big preacher of, of perfection doesn't necessarily equate to being moved. Yeah. Also, and I Perfect, think, perfection isn't always perfect. I mean, it's like you say you go to a band and it's out of tune, but it just feels freaking awesome. Then, yeah. well, it feels freaking awesome. Yeah. You know, and it, like it, it really depends on on everything. But as much as you can, just remember to tune. Yeah. Know? And new strings. I am a stickler for new strings personally. I'd, so you like new strings. I like new strings. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My dad. My dad always would leave strings on like for years. And now that I like once I started becoming professional, I'd 
go back and be like, oh, dad, like you need to change these. Or like, dad, this is out of tune. And you'd be like, well, it's, it's fine enough. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I'm a stickler for, for, for new strings. I think my hands are a little bit more acidic too than your average broad. I've seen some people, I've known some guitar players where like, uh, you know, one guy I knew would pick up, if he played my guitar once, I'd come back to it and they would be like, the strings would be corroded. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's, it's, I mean, and, you know, not to be unfair that people just have different, uh, whatever, different chemistry in the fingertips, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it's, but it, you know, we're all different. It's mm-hmm. like the strings behave differently depending yeah. on who's playing it. Yeah. And, and how, like, how do you play? Do you play with a pick? Do you play with the meat of your hands? Are you really digging in? Are you, are you sliding your hand up and down the neck a lot? You know, doing like, it just, every, everybody's different. Um, do you use any of those, you know, guitar treatment things like, um, I forgot what they're called actually, where you, you put the, the silicon stuff, stuff on the strings and it makes them slippery? When I don't lose them. I feel okay, like right. I feel like I always get them and it's like snarks. I I oh, need man. to just go get the damn batteries for them. I feel like snarks I just are like on, on equal Amazon to lighters. You, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean I've got them I've got dead snarks everywhere in the studio. <laughs> I like that like quote out of context. Graveyard. It just sounds like you need to call an exterminator, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um so yeah, so this is a shout out. If if anybody from Snark is listening to this podcast right now, please please start putting an auto off switch on them so yes. they don't drain the batteries by the next time you pick it up. Yes, exactly. I'd well, rather be frustrated at like having me. to turn it on when I want to tune than having it not work at all. Yeah, totally. But I will say this. So that does make me want to bring up the issue of studio maintenance and things mm-hmm. like Snark batteries. Nowadays, if you just have the Amazon app on your phone, it is so easy mm-hmm. to scan the barcode on something or take a photo of something and have it show it to you. And you just find those batteries. Whenever I go around the studio and I see something's missing or we need more of them, I literally just go, go into the app on the phone, search for it, and just you know swipe to buy now and forget about it. And now by the next time I need it, you know, the next session, it's already shown up in the mail, which is yeah, pretty cool. It is awesome. You used to have to the like future. dedicate an entire day. Yeah. The, the future. Yeah. You used yeah. to have to have a whole day just for maintenance, just for collecting stuff. Um, what are, what are some other good tuning tools? What are some things that, that you are like, I hate using those cause they suck or. I hate using the, uh, strobe tuners because, because I suck. Um, no, I, it's just, it takes longer. I have a pretty good ear for for tuning, so I rely on that sometimes more than I rely on a snark or a, got a better strobe in your head. Yeah, I've got I've got a um a pedal tuner too, uh, a Boss, you know, typical tuner, and I use that as well. But sometimes there's especially like check where you're playing too, because just if you check the open strings, that's one thing, but your intonation intonation might be. A little bit funky and it's right. like well i just tuned it but this a sounds weird well then go make that shape and if you have to punch in for that one chord then you have to punch in for that one chord yeah i think um, that's good advice and yeah i think I see, I see that a lot i see people who just keep tuning the open string i'm like you're not in tune and then they go tune the open strings and they go play the chord again and it's like like but i still just not tuned. in tune. Yeah. yeah yeah but you didn't tune the chord you're playing you tuned something else that's one of the luxuries of recording yourself is like especially like i'm sitting right next to my computer and so if it's if it's one thing, then I'll just rewind, do what I need to, done. What do you like to use for, if you're doing electric guitar, 
Do you like to use a plug-in tuner that's up on your screen and just let the computer tell you what's going on? Do you like to plug through an actual pedal? Do you just like to have your iPhone out with the tuner mode going? I do all of the above, but mostly outside of the computer. I'll use a computer tuner when I when I'm struck by an idea and I don't have anything else around me. Um, I use uh, the Boss tuner and the Snark, and I use my iPhone. I've got a, a tuning app in my iPhone, which is great, you know, in a pinch. Yeah. And um, my ear just just listen listen to that in in coordinates with the other stuff that's happening and you can usually tell okay does this sound flat or sharp yeah especially if you learn by ear like that's kind of how that's how your brain got to know music in the first place also i think your brain is a whole lot more flexible than whatever that computer tuner is your brain knows when certain chords and certain frequencies in a song are okay to be loose and when other things should be closer to a perfect fourth or a perfect fifth you know mm-hmm. to sound in tune even though um, the tuner that is, um, you know, uh, equal tempered tuning might disagree with you. Right. Your brain knows when it's really right. Totally. Know? Use all of the Im- information. Like same thing with advice. Some people will say, oh, you got It's like vocals got to be 1073 or, you know, whatever it is. And then another guy might say, oh, it's, it's got to be this way. Nobody's wrong. There's, there's nuggets of great information in all of them, but yeah. you, like blend them, use Use your brain. I think it's good advice to know and recognize that everybody's right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough thing to do at first. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit more about uh, guitar layers. When you're layering guitars, what are some lessons you've learned about tuning as far as that goes? Uh, once again, so important. The more you layer it, you know. Uh, I mean, it do- it can mask it, but um, you might track a whole wad of guitars and then want just one part just to be one, you know? And if you weren't anal about your tuning, then it's like, well, this doesn't work anymore. Have you ever, um, how often do you double up? Like, you know, do like distorted power chords and then add layers of the same thing on top of it? Not so much anymore with electronic stuff. Um, I mean, I say electronic stuff, but it's still rock leaning. Um, with the, when I'm doing the occasional pop country stuff, which is basically just pop rock with a particular lyric. <laughs> um, I do double up. And uh, if it's just a power chord, I'll, I'll probably double them and just pan them. Right. Um, but it's not a power chord on, on the left with another power chord on the left on top of it, necessarily the same one? Yeah, yeah. unless unless I want really specifically like, okay, this on one side, mm-hmm. you know, I might, I might double it up. Especially if it's like a clean kind of like like a late 90s. You find it's easier to um, double, if you're doubling that on one side like that, do you find it's easier to double it using the same guitar, um, different sound, or same guitar, same sound? Dep- it really uh, depends. If you switch guitars, do you find that there's more tuning challenges sometimes if you do that? No, I mean, I'm, I'm tuning between each take anyhow, because I think I think my, my guitars probably need a visit to the doctor. Um, so I've just gotten the habit of Tuning them the between, yeah, pretty much between each take. Okay. Um, and, and it depends. Like if I want something that, if I want like an ACDC kind of like, just I want it to sound like one guitar, but I want it to sound massive. I'll just use the same guitar. Okay. What about um, distorted power chords? That's a place that I found really challenging sometimes. Like you can, with different guitars and different kinds of distortions, you can individually tune, you know, what your first finger fret on the A on the lowest string, 
And then uh, I forget what we're on the next one. Uh, that would be a, a D or something mm-hmm. like that above it. And that's your power chord. And you're like, I checked this note. I checked that note. They're both in tune. But when I go play the power chord, it doesn't sound in tune. Um, have you, uh, I don't know. I don't even know where I'm going with it other than just to say, you know, have you run into some of that stuff too? Where it's Definitely. Like, that's where you just have to trust your ear and trust your brain, wiggle it around a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's just like constantly not taking one thing as the, you know, the word, like just using your ear and being like, does this feel right? If it doesn't feel right, then change it until it does, you know? All right. um, Let's go from guitar playing to singing. Um, What are some things that you've, I mean, you have a beautiful singing voice, powerful, great, great singer. I saw those videos and like, you kind of don't hit any wrong notes, you know, which is pretty impressive. I feel like I'm pretty flat usually, but so that's nice. (laughs) Maybe I just like flat vocals. I don't know. Just kidding. Um, what uh, what what sort of things have you learned about capturing your voice in the studio? What are some important lessons? Maybe the first thing you learned how to do was record your own voice with the mic. I would assume. What 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 have you discovered about that? When I first started recording my own voice, it was just to get the vocal down so someone else could learn the song. Like I wasn't singing to be a singer, and I I had learned to sing as the third in a in harmony. Because my sisters would always be singing, and if I sang on their line, they'd like flick me. So <laughs> they flick you. Is that where you like take your finger yeah. and you like snap Bang. somebody right in the arm? Yeah, yeah, or That's the good. or the skull. Anyways, um, we yeah, I, I learned how to sing in harmony. So I wasn't singing to to be heard. I was singing to to find a musical spot. Yeah. Um, it actually took me a long time to be able to f- to not automatically jump to the harmony. Um, and so when I first started recording myself, it was just. It was just to get the song out and and to to be musical, and then when I started working with Mitch and and recording, he would record my vocal. That was the first time I kind of really dug into like okay, giving each each word its own world of feeling and really thinking about like what 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 does this sentence mean? Where are you putting your inflection mm-hmm. rather than just singing through it? You know, actually, vocal production has become one of my favorite things to do, and I, I think one of the things I'm better at. Um, working with other vocalists and and uh, artists, it's just a really it's a it's a really vulnerable experience. It can be, I think, if it's done well. Yeah. Um, and getting them feeling comfortable and getting them feeling okay to sing a wrong note, I think, is really important. Yeah. In, in order to get the feel out. Um, I remember when I first heard my voice back with with Mitch, I was like, oh, it's 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 out of key, and he's like, yeah, but listen to the feeling. You want the feeling. Figure, worry about the key later. Yeah. You know. They make plugins to change the pitch. They don't make plugins to change the feeling. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you, you learn by muscle memory to, okay, I was flat there, but I can see the feeling. I feel like the feeling is the is the uh the hard part. Yeah. I think that the the pitch is a is a more of a muscle and you just train, 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 train. Have you discovered any things about um particular mics and which ones you like on your voice and which you don't and why you think that's so? Yeah. Um I definitely, I, there's a, I have a Lawson uh, uh, 47 mic that I use, tube mic, that I adore for my vocal. I always, um, it's best used when it's like right up close. Mm-hmm. And I usually will have one hand on the uh, the volume on my focus right and be riding it as I go, which can make for a really sore neck. Interesting. So you're changing some of the levels depending on whether this is a quiet part and you turn it up. Yeah. 
To the point where it's almost gotten You and like, Tom Dowd, I think Tom Dowd talked about um, doing that when he was re- doing the early recordings. He would have to sit there and physically ride the volume knobs on a vocal while he was recording. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's funny when I'm singing something in my, in my, like when I'm just singing and I'm picturing the music, I started to have a reaction in my left arm. Like it's become a bit of a thing where I'll go like that. And my <laughs> you're just air, you're air knobbing. Yeah, exactly. It's like when you hear a really great guitar part, you're just like, yeah. your right hand is just kind of naturally twitching and moving. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that mic is amazing. It's super intimate and I don't have like a, a loud voice. Another thing too, singing when I was younger, it was like, okay, I got to sing loud. And then when I started recording myself, that's when like I really started to put all the pieces together that Mitch had been talking to me about and really understanding that process because I can, first of all, you can be totally vulnerable with yourself. You can mess up something and be like, oh, that's fine. You're not, you're not embarrassed at all. And um, that's just a really good way to kind of get to know it and to get to know placement too. It's like, okay, well, I want my voice to sound more like this. How do I get there? And what does it feel like when I've gotten there? So you can then communicate to someone else, be like, okay, kind of shoot shoot the sound up through your nose a little bit more or uh, drop your drop your vocal cords and kind of relax that and, and think of the sound going more upwards, you know, um, mm. different volumes, different breaths, different different ways of getting different tones, essentially. I find that the thing I try to remind myself of is uh, is and it's still an experiment that I could hit a higher note more easily, more easily if instead of tensing up my throat to hit it, I just relax and just try and sing it from the diaphragm or something. You know? Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing. Eh? I took some vocal lessons for about a year, um, in between those periods of being recorded and then, uh, recording myself. And that, that was great too. Just like learning a lot about that, you know, the power of breath. It's crazy. Yeah. The power of breath. Nice. Yeah. Um, so the loss in, have you, uh, now how about taking that loss in and putting it on the singer that you're about to record in your studio? Have you ever been surprised to discover that that didn't sound great on somebody else's voice and you needed a totally different mic? Yeah, sometimes I, I'm able to uh, sign out the mics from the main room at the studio. There's another studio underneath the same roof and they have been awesome to me. I'm a big fan of Maine. I love Maine. <laughs> yeah, they um, uh, they will let me take something out for a day or a week and they've got a great old 47 um or a 87 sorry and uh a few other things that are awesome but i pretty much will be able to use either the sm7 if it's like a loud dude voice um, yeah, see, i was gonna say when is the sm7 a great choice for mike l- loud dude voice you know uh something where i don't really need to hear a, a huge amount of clarity so it always boggles my mind that the the Michael Jackson stuff was all done on an SM7. It's like, cause he doesn't have like a particularly loud, bulky voice, you know, but, um, man, it sounds good. Probably powerful. Yeah. 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 Bruce Sweetian wrote a book called recording Michael Jackson. That's pretty cool. Nice. So I haven't read that yet. Um, that's worth checking out anyways. Um, yeah, that on a, on a loud kind of rock vocal, um, the 87 is great on most female vocals. Um, I think that that 47 is just so great for like a really intimate kind of character voice. Um, so uh, that's pretty much the extent of my microphone knowledge. Just one of the, again, one of those things where it's like, that's what I've had access to. Yeah. And that's what I've read about. And 
those two overlapping factors then equate to my, you know, knowledge. Okay, cool. Um, how about, uh, you know, you mentioned Melodyne already. You talked about using it for the, uh, the, um, the, the DNA mode. Isn't that what they call it? Direct node access, um, where you can do all the individual notes in a chord and all that stuff. Um, do you find that tuning things like vocals is, is an important part of a production process? Is that something you enjoy doing at all? I do enjoy doing it, actually, oddly enough. Um, it's important depending on what you're doing. Um, for example, if I'm doing something that's pretty pop or or pop country, like what is pop country really these days? It's just it's pop music. Um, pop in it, a pickup truck, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it needs to sit in a certain area with a lot of other stuff that is very clean sounding, then yes, I think it's really important. Um, for the Texada stuff that I'm doing, I will, I will tune here and there, but there is so much tuned, perfect sounding things out there in the Spotify realm that when I hear something that has some, you know, flat notes or whatever, it's like, oh, yes. Like it's really funny listening to one of the tapes that we had uh, that I absolutely adored the first trip to Mexico when I was six was Tuesday Night Music Club, Sheryl Crow. Oh, yeah. And track one was Run Baby Run. And I remember that was like the first that song just floored me, like the song itself. I didn't even know what those words meant. But um, beyond the guitar and like the the vibe of the song, like Hotel California struck me, that one just made me, it was just like, why do I feel, why do I feel like this? You know, uh, I still adore that song. But you listen to it now, if it comes on the radio, it sticks out. It's like, right. what is that? Oh, it's Shell Crow. You know, it's it's like, it's imperfect and it's awesome. Yeah, I think one of the videos I included was you doing a, a Cheryl Crow cover. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then another one was oh, you that was doing one, yeah, um, that was I Will I was Survive, learning. too. You did a disco cover oh, with a yes, nylon yes. string guitar. That was at a family party. That was at one of those things that that where our great. family band played last year. That's cool. That's cool. Um, all right, so let's see. What else do I want to talk to you about? You are now taking your music on the road. Maybe tell us what is Texada and then um, talk about creating your live rig that allows you to, you know, create in the studio, but then recreate that as a live musician. So Texada, ironically, I kind of came down to Nashville when I made the move and then got away from country music. Um, some of those songs were older. Like I said, I've been working on them while I was doing the country stuff uh, because it was music that I also wanted to do. Um, and then some of them were new, like all my life was a newer one that I did when I got here. And then the Texada gold stuff, which is a separate EP, which is a space travel concept, super nerdy. Oh yeah. yeah. Tell us about that one. Cause you were talking about, um, NASA releasing sounds. Yeah. Space, NASA, right? NASA had released like the sound of the sun pinging against the earth's atmosphere and, um, interstellar had just come out and that just, you know, you see like a sometimes you'll see a film and you're just like floored. Yeah. And you just feel like you absorb it into your everyday thinking. And just like even the colors of that, for some reason, just like really struck a chord with and me. And you're like, dad, don't ever go out into outer space, all right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, slash, let's make sure we don't use pesticides on our, on our fallow field. Oh, that's right. That was the other but, part um, of that. Anyways, mostly just the colors, honestly, like the ice and the the isolation of space. And I had just moved down here. And had just gotten off the road. And so I was kind of thinking like, all right, I want, I know I want to produce. No one's going to give me 
the opportunity to produce a record because I'm so new and you know I I it would be it would be a uphill battle for me because I, I had only done my country record and I was co-producing that and I wanted to um know the process more intimately so I was like all right you want to be a producer then produce figure out whatever you got to do just start and so I made those two one was more uh analog instruments and the other was more electronic um and then that ended up going viral unexpectedly. I had named it Texada after this island, uh, kind of thinking it was like this Texada project and it was always just going to be a creative outlet that I would have um, to do on the side or to do in the forefront or whatever it was, just to be able to kind of do whatever I wanted musically. Um, and it ended up going viral, oddly enough. And a couple blogs had found out about it and got some good blog love. And that kind of propelled the whole Spotify thing. Yeah, you said you got 2.8 million plays on Spotify, right? Yeah, I think it's almost at 4 million now, um, which is crazy. And so it opened up this opportunity to make the music that I that my heart really wanted to make, which was really cool. And that hadn't happened before. Um, without you know putting you on the spot for details or something, what does it mean that getting millions of plays on Spotify opens up the opportunity? Does that mean does does as an independent artist, does it literally translate into income that can allow you to do something musically? Or does it translate more into opportunities of people being accepting of whatever you do next? What does it mean? The latter. I mean, it does. Spotify, if you own your own masters and you wrote everything yourself, it's not it's not that bad. That That said, I didn't exist in the world where, you know, a number one record was... Uh, going to be a set for life kind of thing. Right. Or a number one song or, you know, a million purchases like that. That's, that's foreign to me. So anytime I make money with music, it's like, Oh, awesome. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's 50 bucks or if hey guys, Hey guys, let's go to sushi. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I, I make money so I can continue to do what yeah. I can do. Yeah. Other than that, you know, that's just a, that's just a, all right. So then what were some of the ways that um, having a lot of, you know, that kind of exposure on Spotify opened doors for you? Um, basically credibility, I think. Um, and beyond that, even if it hadn't gone viral, it would have opened doors for me production wise. It did open doors for me production wise because it wasn't the kind of thing where it was like, oh, you produced it, but who really produced it? Especially being uh, a woman. That's just, you know, that people normally assume that there might be so it's just, and that's changing really quickly, but, um, I was young and it's easy to think like, oh, there was a bunch of other people involved who kind of did it. Right. So I think I'd proved my, my worth for working on somebody's record. Cause I could play all the instruments and program stuff and, um, make it sound to a certain degree of, of quality without having to go and hire a bunch of other people. Yeah. Uh, which just strictly on a, on a, on a financial level is, is useful and that's of worth. And was this something where you programmed all the drums and played all the guitars and bass yourself and sang everything, or did you work with other musicians as well? Um, the, I, I did it all myself. The drums on the Texada Gold stuff, which are acoustic drums, those are Andrew Peebles, okay. my buddy from, um, from back home who's actually living here now too. So I know Ableton Live is one of the tools that you use too to do all this stuff, and I wondered if you wanted to talk about any kind of fun tricks that you've discovered using Ableton Live, just stuff that you enjoy doing? Um, session mode and the Ableton push is awesome. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've 
dabbled with machine with other people's machines and that's great and all, but the push is fully integrated with the DAW, which is awesome. So you'll put loops in and then just kind of trigger them with push or you'll play the drums by hand with the pads? Play, and stuff play the like drums that? by hand, yeah. So I've gone in and made specific drum pads, whether it's uh, like all from these sample libraries just shared between friends. Um, so like the, I'll have like the Lindrum and I'll have like odds and ends, weird, weird sounds, basic sounds, analog drum sounds, just so when I'm writing, I can just have everything right there. Yeah, I think that's really important to be able to have the sounds accessible quickly so you can write yeah. quickly and everything like that. It's one thing to explore with new sounds and kind of be under no pressure. It's another thing when you're like, I want to go for this idea and I just need something right away, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Be be organized. Being orga- organized with your with your uh with your own sounds is great and I make a lot of my own samples. Let's talk about that for a sec. What are some tips you have for the rock stars about um, organizing stuff? Or how do you like to organize all your samples and sounds so that you can use them quickly? My samples and sounds are always on my desktop, like when they're actually like just little wave files or like a little drum hit or um, even some like weird, really cool tonal reverb that I've struck off the end of something and then chopped up and made into, you know, little bites of a uh, kit itself or something. Just being um, having everything on my desktop and and within my glyphs too. I, I'm I'm pretty anal about my weekly backs up, backups to something some kind of hardware. So you'll just put. I, I love that you said you just put them right on the desktops because because uh, that almost could sound like it's not necessarily organizing them. It's just like scattering them out on the table in front of you. Oh, they're they're like in in different oh, okay, files. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I like this image of you working on a song, and it's just like all just thrown onto your yeah, no, computer no, while you're working me, on it, and you kind of go collect it later. No, it'd be like Lindrum, uh, yeah. the Lindrum kit or this this kit or that kit or, you know, sweeps, like ethereal sweeps or um, kind of real instrument-made sweeps. Yeah. And, and then do you use, I know Ableton Live has kind of this browser column on the left. Do you find that really useful for finding the sounds? Yeah, I do. And uh, you can make... You can make sound instruments like in, in drum rack um, yeah. or in, in simpler that are super easy to pick out. So like a lot of times I'll be like, oh, that's a cool sound of acoustic. I'm going to, I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to pull that into simpler and you literally just press convert and then all of a sudden you've got it on a keyboard. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So now, you know, you've kind of produced this stuff and I know that you're taking this out on the road. So I keep kind of like taking us on tangents, but I want to give you a chance to talk about like, what is this live rig that you're taking with you? So I did a bunch of research to figure out how can I, how can I just have like me and one other person on stage? Um, and how can I be creative on stage and in the moment? Because one of the things about playing guitar for other artists was I find I was playing the same thing every night. And that was, I was, I was missing the creative part of it you know whereas in the studio you're always at the epicenter of new it's like we just came up with this we just wrote this song it's all new 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 right so i wanted to be able to create an environment um with with gear where i had that you know or at least a few moments of that where we could kind of potentially take it as far as we wanted to go um and since the rig has changed a little bit because it's been it i need i basically i need now like a tech who's going to be able to deal with all that stuff as well, because it's just, there's too much things going on. But for the first year, it was really cool to do this thing where it was live looping 
sample triggering and some tracks like with the BGs with the background vocals. Um, but then sending all those, any of those tracks into, uh, into learned filters and things. So it kind of was a bit of a studio on stage. Um, I hired an Ableton specialist to kind of show me the rope. So we do like half an hour nice. here and there. And he would, I would ask him all kinds of questions and he'd tell me everything I needed to know. I'd write it down and then just go like work and learn. So is there like a particular person right here in Nashville that you can actually call for Ableton assistance like that? Yeah, Chris Dilday. He is awesome. He um, works for Ableton and he does uh, the uh, Ableton meetups. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Chris Chris Dilday. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, Yeah. he's the man. Um, Rockstars, you need uh, Ableton... Superstar called Chris. Yeah, and and that's that's a great way to start too because you can you can especially if it's something as uh, specified as what I wanted to do, you know. And for the most part, your live rigs is pro- are probably if you wanted to do something with a bunch of live looping, it's probably pretty specific to your needs. Yeah. And so when you're learning from ground zero and you don't even know how to like what different pieces you're putting together. And then yeah, call somebody who knows. All right, so let's let's break it down just a little bit more so we can really picture it. So you've got a vocal mic that you have to travel with to set this up, or do you use whatever's on the stage? So I actually I have everything go into Ableton, and then I send eight outs to front of house. Okay. Um, and then I have a analog drum kit because I think that I I always really appreciate it when I go see a show and it sounds it takes it to a new level live. You know, it sounds different than the record. Or maybe not different, but like it, it, it can bring you into new levels and to new kind of textures and stuff. Um, and so I go Texados with my my buddy Andrew for the live show, and I've got him an SPDSX with all of the samples from the electronic stuff loaded up into there. He's got a keyboard uh, and his analog, his acoustic drum kit. Um, and he's got two microphones, one at the keyboard and the SPDSX and the other one at the drums. Um, those all go into my focus, right into Ableton. So they're all treated, all vocals come out of one, uh, one out to front of house. So when I go like they'll, they'll provide and in backline is three mics. Um, they're all mixed and, 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 uh, yeah, treated in Ableton. And then I've got two keyboards my guitar rig that actually goes into Ableton first and then into the mic, then into the amp. Wow. And then the amp is mic'd. And that's in front the, of house. the bad cat amp? Yeah, that's or the bad cat. Yeah. Okay, cool. So now are there some things that people should be aware of as far as like, you know, can you plug a guitar? You know, if you plug your guitar straight into an amp, a tube amp, it's going to have a certain sound. If you plug your guitar through a bunch of, you know, through a computer and back out an interface, do you need to have a heads up that it's going to sound real different? Do you need to you know, sort of tweak it differently to get it to still sound the way you like? Um, there's there's more opportunity for buzz. And so I'm going to get one of those uh, Furman power conditioners and put them in the rack. Um, in the rack is also a wireless. So it actually goes wireless into the into the pedals, then in first into the pedals, then into Ableton, because Ableton has a looper. Um, and then I also have an FCB 1010. Oh, sorry. Back to the guitar question. Yes, it's just there's a little bit of buzz. Yeah. Well, no, that's all right. So the looper, um, I know Ableton actually has a loop plug-in, and then that can allow you to, um, you know, play something into it. And then you you do have like a pedal that you can use as a foot controller that triggers the, yeah. the MIDI controller of some sort. Yeah. So I have a Behringer FCB 1010. 
Okay. Um, and it's got, you know, you can have 100 different pages and there's nine pedals on it. Uh, so a lot of information that you can program. Um, and I, and there I have a record, like start loop, end loop button for my guitar, uh, start loop, end loop button for Andrew's SPDSX. And the keyboard loops are either IAC driven um, or they are ducked in different cases. Uh, so if it's one part in, in a, in like if I want to be able to jam piano, I'll, I'll set my keyboard to the piano and play what I want to. And then if I want to come back into the song the way it was, it'll just unduck and then everything comes back in. Interesting. So, um, and, and everything's on scenes. So, yeah. Can, and so, so we're, we're sort of following the, the grid and the, uh, the tempo of the Ableton song or something, right? Or not? Yeah. Yeah. Generally, but you can, you can program like, okay, here I don't want any, I don't want to be, I just want to do what I want to do. And there's going to be nothing in there and I'll be able to record whatever I want here and there. Um, and that's all scene driven. So that's just like a scene launch thing. So I press one button and it starts at the top of the, the, the bar. There is a tempo mapped out for everything, but there's not a length mapped out for everything because yeah. in session mode, it works on a loop basis or you can set it to a loop basis. You can also set something to like a one shot. So if it's at the start of a, you know, start of a chorus and I'm changing scenes, I can have like a one shot um big symbol something or other. You know, like Andrew's not as plan, yeah. And and just just does it once, you know, and the other stuff I can have like dummy clips on loop. So I don't have to even worry about, okay, I need to be finished this by now. I need to be finished this jam by now. It's like, well, we can go as long as we want. We can add as many things as we want. And being able to have like being able to automate things as you go is really awesome. Um, so I, you know, I have everything mapped out to these MIDI keyboards, different effects, different, uh, different plugins, even being on or off to make sure that latency is always in, in, now, in check. Is there something involved with this where you're actually capturing each live performance as a recording or anything like that? Not yet. That's the next step. That's the next step. Yeah. When, and would Ableton just do that internally if it was, if it was set up the right way? I would just basically run, run the, uh, like run a master bus, you know, like a, have like a mix bus into, yeah. into, you can have it like separately in, um, arrangement mode printing while I'm going down on session mode. So cool. Well, that's pretty exciting. I'm, I've always been really a big fan of anything, you know, the concept of looping guitars and stuff like that and, and building a loop thing. And I messed around a lot with Ableton at one point trying to figure out how I might want to do it just as a creative tool in the studio. Totally. Um, one of the challenges I found was, if you're playing something by hand, you know, you hit the loop and you loop it and you love the way that sounds, but I wanted the DAW or Ableton to like already know what the tempo was and have a grid that would accompany, that would follow what I had just done right? so that I could just keep working and not have it be like, not have to like stop and figure something out. And, right. you know, I don't know if you have an answer to that or if that's even a question, but anyway, it's, it's pretty cool that that um, it's just fun messing with looping. Like yeah, that. especially and we're and like creating in session mode. Like any any writes that I have, um, I always have session mode pulled up and yeah. my push, and that way it's like, um, you can just have one little idea, and that keeps looping around. Then you put on another idea, and then it's so easy to just trigger. Okay, here's a chorus. 
So like you keep the creative flow going. It's just constantly moving. It's, it's like here's the track this is always part. Going. Now I'm thinking about the next part. I don't yeah. have to pause and like take my brain yeah. out of creative. Totally, especially when you're working with top liners and they're they're working lyrically and you're working track wise. Yeah. Um, to be able to have that constant state of like groove happening, you know. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So um, let me ask you another question. Um, you know, we we talked a little bit outside of this about you know, just your perspective being a woman in what has traditionally been a man's world of recording and engineering and producing and stuff like that. And um, while I don't think that that is, that, that we should cast a lot of light on that topic because it just keeps perpetuating it totally. as a topic. Mm -hmm. I wondered if there was anything that you wanted to talk about as far as just, you know, uh, a message to women who are thinking about doing this and haven't done this yet. And just, you know, any, any part of the thought process or the conversation around that, that you think is important that you want to share? Um, I think people would ask me all the time with guitar, like, why aren't there more female guitar players? And I don't have an answer for that, but I would imagine what we're used to seeing in media, uh, and just in general would have something to do with it. You know, um, when I grew up, it was like, Okay, guitar gods, Jimi Hendrix. Um, you know, that that was the first thing that you'd think of when you yeah. didn't know anything about guitar, when you think about guitar. Um, and I think just by nature of our generally, you know, binary society, or as it has been for a long time, that you just kind of don't look at that as a as a woman and think like, you know, it yet you'd be thinking out of the box to in the first place be like, that's what I want to really do. That's changing really quickly, which is awesome, just because we're so aware of so many different talents because of the internet, which I yeah. think is awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is pretty remarkable now with things like Instagram. You know, I don't yeah. I don't personally spend a lot of time on it, but when I do, I'm I'm amazed that you like flip through and hear guys, girls, men, women from all across the world that are just posting pictures of themselves totally. playing incredibly. Yeah. You know? And technology to record, you know, one of the tracks on Kendrick Lamar's dam was produced on an iPhone. I mean, it was mixed oh, really? up on an iPhone, nice. but it was produced on an iPhone, the guy from the internet. Um, yeah. He does a lot of stuff on his iPhone and there you go. And have you ever yeah. tried the acapella app? No, I've seen I've seen a lot of people post that. Though. It's so great. I mean, the thing is that you could use it for just looping instruments yeah. and stuff like that too, playing different yeah. parts. There's so many different mediums to be creative on, and and I definitely understand when people talk about Instagram being uh, a detriment. I personally, I kind of see it as a way to for people to communicate music. Um, at the end of the day, the best feeling of music is is connection you know, to yeah. the song or to yeah. someone else or, and sure it's a be that, that technology is, is abused and used in ways that are unhealthy for us, but there's also a lot of amazing things that it can do and that can connect musicians and, uh, and give them kind of a, a platform to connect with people and, and to connect music, which is awesome. Well, let me ask you that question. When you're in the studio, phone on or phone off? Phone out. Phone out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will, um, unless I'm expecting a call or I've got something on my calendar that day with someone else, I'll have my phone in, but I'll, I'll have in my calendar, in my shared calendar with Cobalt, like these are the days that I'm working in studio and I'll just leave them out. 
leave, leave the phone out. Yeah. Nice. And I'll, I'll get it later at lunch hour or something. All right. Um, we, we went a little bit off tangent there. Oh, yeah, You're sorry, talking sorry. about I'm so you know, being a woman in, in this space. Um, what, what else would you like to say about that? Yeah, it's just what we're used to. And now we're used to seeing a lot of things. So I think that's changed, like extremely changed even since when I was younger. I think uh, just by nature of being on the boat and pretty isolated, even like during the school year, we were out every weekend kind of thing. I just saw my dad play and was like, well, that's awesome. I want to do that too. It was never like, oh, is it weird that I'm doing this? Because there's not a lot of other girls here, you know? Right. Interesting. Yeah. So you weren't, um, you know, predisposed to certain ideas of, of gender and what people are, guys and girls are supposed to do or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And I, and I don't think anyone's parents are saying, oh, you're, you know, you shouldn't be playing guitar. You're a girl. I think it's just when you're younger and you're, you see a group of guys doing something, you might not feel as comfortable walking in being like, Hey, you know, and, and, and again, I think that's, that's really changing, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, how about the, uh, the space of engineering and producing and, you know, the studio world, what's that experience been like for you? Um, anyone who is a successful professional, I've never, I've never experienced sexism with other, with, with successful professionals. Um, yeah. I think that's really important to po- point out. The ones who are pricks uh, are uh, hobbyists. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that's that's where you experience a little bit of it. Um, and and it's, I mean, it's of course it's there, but I don't even think it's there as a malicious thing. I think it's there as a learned thing and somewhat not challenging the norms of what they've seen. You know, I think yeah. I think it, that 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 issue lies more in like reminding each other to challenge judgments, you know? Uh, any other words of encouragement to um, younger women who are, you know, maybe thinking about how cool it would be to do this and just um, to help them, help them along? I, I, I think, uh, I think there, there is something that we as women, cause men and women are different and we have, our, our brains work differently. And with women, I find like with women guitar player or um, women women writers or, you know, engineers, there's a different kind of emotional based thing that we can tap into, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's wonderful and to be celebrated just as, you know, specific men things are good, man things are good with men. I think, uh, yeah, this is kind of coming out the wrong way. <laughs> um, right. But, I don't mean to put you on the spot with no, you. No, no, no. I, I think it's very insightful. It's It sounds to me like it's an encouragement to women saying, you know, there are things that you um, are in tune to. Yeah. And those are strengths that you can bring to the studio, right? Totally. And there's nothing, there's nothing that you can't do. And it's also encouraging doesn't matter, to guys. It doesn't to, matter gen- gender, anybody. Yeah, like, to, to men, it's like, hey, hey dudes, there's stuff you're into and it's okay to bring that to the studio for yourself too. Yeah. Does like whatever gender you are, just find out what, what you can offer that's unique and love that part of yourself and celebrate it and use it. All right. So let's, um, thank you for sharing all that too. And, um, let's go into the final questions here. Um, maybe this, that kind of segues into this, which is the question that I like to always ask, which is when you started out in recording, what do you feel like was holding you back? Um, probably just the the time. 
Uh, I wouldn't even say gear because I think I think you don't have to have. I think you can find great stuff with uh, whatever gear you're using. It's all about the feel. Um, I think the time that it takes to learn something, and I think that still holds me back. Just as far as it's going to take me a day to get to know this better, or it's going to take me a month to get to know this better. Yeah. Um, there's so much that we want to learn and we get excited about learning. Yeah. And, and, uh, there's so many different ways to learn it. It's all, it's all accessible. So it's really just the time that it takes to learn something upon inception of an idea. And then being at the point with, uh, the gear or the knowledge or whatever it is to just get it done, you know? You talked about that experience of like sitting down with a guitar and you hunker down and you're getting into it. And just by the time you get into the mode and you're finally like there, you look up at the clock and it's 1 a.m. Oh, yeah. And, and with, like, with editing, the, too. Where did all the time just go? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. It's wonderful. It's like you just get into a certain wavelength and uh, you blink and then it's all done and, it, and it's cool. I mean, uh, hopefully, or maybe it sucks, but either way. Either way, you spent the time doing it. Yeah, enjoy yeah. what you're doing. It's a good thing. And you right? learned a bunch. You know, it's all trial and error. Um, now, how about some of the best advice you remember receiving? Um, I think the best advice that was the most helpful to me and where I kind of improved the most, and I still kind of apply that way of thinking, is uh, when I first started working with Mitch. With Mitch Merritt, he said, okay, I'm challenging you. Do a song a day. Today, do a song that the Beatles never Write, write the song and, and produce the whole thing. Do the song that the Beatles never uh, released. Nice. You know, in different specific challenges to the point where I That's just That's not of, a tough request. <laughs> well, but like, just just try, you know. Um, to It also helps you not become so precious about the outcome of something and being right. so hard on yourself. It's like... It's, it's almost like third person creation. It's like... We did, you, and you just... You it's, it's, tell it's, stories if it was some something else. It's like the question of what's holding you back, you know, you, it's it's a process. It's constantly a process. There's never a best. There's, you know, there's not even really a, well, I guess there would be personal worst and personal best, but there's no ceiling. You know, as as creators, we're constantly, be, constantly going to be challenging ourselves and trying to make something more moving and yeah. better in whatever way we are excited about. Um so with the with these song a day challenges, there was no room to be like, oh, um, I don't know how to do that yet though. Can can someone show me how to do that? It's like don't don't wait, just do it. Just, just try it. it, figure it out yourself. And yeah, it might suck, but then you'll get better and you'll be like, okay, that didn't work for XYZ. So next time I'm going to think about XYZ and not do that and try something different. Yeah, it might also try turn out really different. cool. Or it might turn out really cool, exactly. Like sometimes I listen to old stuff. I'm like, man, that was awesome. What was it about that? You know? Yeah. And figuring that out. And yeah, just, just constantly challenging yourself and don't, don't wait for someone else to, you know, give you the okay. All right. Now, how about sharing with the rock stars a recording tip, hack, or secret sauce, something they could use on their next session? Um, probably the control option command on Pro Tools and MIDI Learn because I do so much MIDI stuff. Um, yeah. So wait, break that one down. So control option command, is that where you click it and then you click a knob and it MIDI learns it or something like you, that? You control option command brings it up into your automation and then you can send it to MIDI learn. I write in a lot of automation too. Mm -hmm. Um, I automate 
the crap out of things. And that's I'm just, not doing enough of it. That's just an easy way to do it. And I'm just constantly. Bruh, bruh, bruh. All right. So let's say it one more time. So control option command, I call that bear claw, right? Yeah. Bear, and, bear claw, control option command and click. And then click on what? On a knob for a synth or something like that yeah. or what? And then that puts that knob in the automation lane. In Pro Tools, yeah. In Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, and then, then does that also enable it for record, you know, for touch record or whatever on the truck? Or then you just you got to do that it? separately. Yeah. Okay, and but, then you can just start messing with that knob, and there it is. Yeah, my buddy Mike Malchikov showed that to me like years ago, and I was like, <gasps> even though it's so, it's you know, a simple little thing. It just was kind of awesome. I can't remember if that one works for plugins too or not. I, I wondered. I think yeah, it, I think it might. Does, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, awesome. Good tip. All right. Um, how about uh, uh, just a really cool hardware tool, something physical you really like to have for sessions? Probably um, a guitar, I imagine. Well, the, the Tegler right now, I, it's, oh, it's yeah. just blowing my mind. Um, the Tegler um, Audio Manufacturer VTRC, VTRC. Very recording channel, Rockstars. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I'm really into the teenage engineering stuff. Oh, yeah. I, I met some of those guys out at um, Winter Nam. Okay. They're little teeny, like they're the they're size so of like cute. a cigarette pack or something. Yeah. And they're like these cool little synthesizer yeah. circuit boards, right? They look like calculators. Yeah. Um, they're super rad. I uh I use I've got the PO twelve, which is a little drum machine. Um, and I love it. It's all original drum sounds and they're just they're they're cool and mostly it's just nice to have something tactile and something different than being in the computer to kind of create on. It's just inspiring. Um, they make all kinds of different ones. They've got an awesome little sampler one that I want to get my hands on, but I think they're sold out at the moment. Um, what generally speaking, are these little teenage engineering things expensive or inexpensive? No, they're to totally affordable. The PO12 is $49.99. Oh, cool. So you can just start collecting them one at yep. a time. Like getting, you can run them it's cheaper into than each a guitar other. pedal. Yeah, no, it's great. It's super cool. I love that thing. Um, my Ableton Push is my, my best friend. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's just super easy to be like, oh, I want that sound and go and grab it. You know, when, when you're in the moment of inspiration and you hear the whole song, you want to be able to capture that all as quick as you can. And when you're doing it, whether you're grabbing a sound or going into record or, or making a move on something, do you find that it allows you just to push buttons rather than have to grab the mouse and go click on the screen? Yeah, it's, it's, more, it's more inspiring to be doing it like to be doing something tactile, you know? And to be playing the drums rather than rather than dropping and dragging, you yeah. Know? I'll, I will always drop and drag some stuff when I'm in Pro Tools, but as far as like making the the bones of the song, it's just really really nice to be able to play it. And it's also like when it's in the light board, it's not laid out like a piano. So just right. like if you you know had a guitar patch on a piano, you're going to play it in different voicings and in a weird way that might be cool. You can do the same thing on the on the sampler pad on on the push all right so let's talk about favorite software tools or anything you're excited about and let me preface it or, or see if i can guide at least one answer towards um, finding really cool synth sounds because i know that's a part of your production do you use uh at, you know third-party synths maybe you mentioned the arturia mm -hmm. stuff earlier yeah do you arturia. also use a lot of the built-in stuff that's in ableton live as well um not so much uh i i don't have like the expansive packs that are available. Mm -hmm. I have like the basic, you know, um, not the, the Ableton light, but like regular Ableton stuff that it came with. Um, I love Arturia. Um, 
I love using the simpler with samples that I've made from like the verb of a guitar on a different song that I've had in Pro Tools that I drag into my little desktop folder, you know, into yeah. wherever its home is as far as like, okay, here's some weird textures. And then it's all iCloud. So I go into my other computer, bring them into the push, press convert into simpler and boom, I've got my own synth that I've made. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like it when our computers talk to each other easily. It is amazing. Yes. Um, and so then, uh, stuff. And oh, and the little, little Alter Boy has been my like superstar of the year. Oh, cool. Um, it's a very specific little plugin. I think it's like 120 bucks, or they often have sales. Yeah, sound, sound toys, toys. and um, and it's it's basically like a pitch shifter sort of. Yeah, it's a pitch shifter. They've widener. got like transpose. They've got um robot so just all all one lines that um you can kind of make your own vocoder with it do you sometimes play your guitar through the pitch shifter like a whammy yep. pedal style yeah and then you can adjust the mix too so sometimes it's nice to if i'm doing just like a really simple ding 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 i can have the mix at 50 percent. yeah and shift it down you know uh 12 12 degrees and then i've got like a perfect little octave kind of pedal thing and then it's also got a, a little nasty drive on it which is good for something specific, you know. It's, the nasty it's digital drive. drive, so it's just if they don't of, call like, it the nasty abrasive. drive, they should. They, the nasty drive. Um, so one more question about the synths. When I go play around with keyboard synths and sounds, I'm so quickly overwhelmed by all the giant lists of patches and menu options and stuff like that. Any good tips about getting to know where to find sounds that you like, or or organizing that stuff, or do you use like favorite? folders or any of that kind I of use, thing? I use favorite folders a lot. Um, I think it's it goes back to one of those things where it's what's holding you back. I think maybe a, a better way of saying what's holding you, me back is what's slowing me down. Right. Um, and that would be the time it takes to go watch a really boring tutorial on YouTube and listening to the first minute of chatting where you're just like, okay, let's go. <laughs> Um, All right, I already subscribed to your video. Show me how to do this thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that that those to me are like the most annoying parts. And when you're when you're learning everything at once, that's when it takes the most time. But just take the time to do it. Like yeah, that same like contact for example is such a powerful yeah really tool, which I feel like I need to go back and watch the beginner tutorials again because I was so excited to start using it. Watch the beginner tutorials, learn what I need to. And now I hear of these things where someone's talking about, you know, running through this oscillator or whatever, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh man, I got to go back and learn more. And uh, yeah, the tutorials on YouTube are your best friend. Yes. Good advice. And, and dedicating time to do that. I find that I tend to fill up all the rest of my time doing that. Like I'll sit down to eat a meal and I'm like, totally. oh, I better watch a video yeah, on something yeah, and learn too. something right now. Lunch break. Yeah. Yeah. Lunch break, learn break, totally. Which is kind of fun. And then sometimes you're like, man, my life is boring. I need to do something else. <laughs> That's um, funny. Yes, all right. So understand. now how about um, how about a resource or advice for the business side of doing this? If people want to do this for more than just a hobby, what would you like to say to them? Um, do, as, as much as you can, do, do dedicate some time to do something that you are moved by and listen to your own heart. Also, find somebody who is in, a, in the industry who is making money and learn as much as you can from them. Yeah. Um, I say that first one because it comes back to you can't expect anyone else to be moved if you're not moved. So if you're chasing like what you think people want to hear, then 
that's might be important to know how to do that, but don't neglect your own passion. Um, because I, I do, I do believe so much in that and find an ally who is doing it. Reach out to everybody. We were just talking about how awesome, uh, the internet can be if you use it in the right ways. Um, there is a whole world of opportunity out there to connect with people. There's, um, there's air gigs, Com, you know. What's airgigs.com? I don't even know about that one. Airgigs is uh, this basically intermediary thing that can, you put out a page, it's like, all right, my name is Haley. I do uh, session overdubs, uh, vocal tuning, vocal production. Um, I can do BGs or what, whatever it is that you do, you know. Um, and then I think I can't remember what it takes. My my uh, a couple of my buddies are on it, and they and it's and it's dandy. Um, they will take like a fifteen percent or twenty percent cut, but people will find you through air gigs, and you can get a good rating. It's almost like Airbnb for yeah for ah, you know. air gigs. There you go. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's a good tip. Yeah. So he, I, I he's like working with the guy from was India. Another one like that too. Or or, sound better, I think, is sound another better, yeah. one like that. Um, so it's it's just a good reminder that that um, you know. Maybe next year there will be a new one too, but just keep checking them out, Rockstars, and you'll find um, some service like that where you can actually connect with people and make yourself known. You got to make yourself known if you want if you want people to work, you know, hire you and work with you, right? Yeah, and and just and go and meet people. Uh, like go to local shows, find out local bands that you like. Go to lo- go to local shows and meet people that are doing music that you like. Yeah, because you're going to be better at making music that you like than you don't like. I like that advice. I try to give that advice. I try to remember to take that advice myself. I remind myself every day. Um, now, how about the organizational side of doing this? Are there any online resources? You talked about using iCloud between computers. Any other stuff that really helps you keep all your shit together? Um, Dropbox, definitely. Um, and having being religious about backing up to hardware too. Um, iCloud, I just have like really basic stuff on. Because I am just not quite convinced that I can trust it. Same with Dropbox, even though I know I totally can. Um, I just like to have things on hardware, especially if you're working with someone and they want to. Um, they you've done you've done some work for them, and then a year later, like, hey, I want to release this for this. Can you remix it? And you don't want to be like, well, uh, you want to be able to be like, yep, I'll just go back in this glyph in my in my um, you know cupboard. And pull it out and just be really, just be really anal about doing all that stuff. When I was working yeah. on the Tech Theta Gold stuff, which was so much work, um, I lost half of it because oh, of no. poor file management. So that was the last time that's ever going to happen. That is one way to learn. Like yeah. It was literally like a month of work. Um, just had a guest on the show, Kyle Andrews, and he was telling some stories like that where his first record you know, hard drives were still expensive and he didn't know any better. So he, he burned all the CDs for the record, Mm -hmm. the CD ROMs, and then he just deleted everything so that he'd have room on his hard drive to start making the next record. Yeah. (laughs) And then people came along later and they're like, well, let's remix this and remaster it. And it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. Um, yeah. So, all right. Just like at the end of the week or like, if I'm, if I got a lot done in one day, I actually, I'm so anal about it that I have a little glyph that I take home with me in case the studio was to burn down and in case Dropbox and iCloud failed. Like I'm like very OCD about it. Yeah. Good. Good call. 
it's your living. It's, it's what you're, yeah. um, you know, working so hard towards. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, um, let's talk about, uh, this, this one's hypothetical. So our last question, but, uh, we're going to take the studio way back machine. Okay. And you're going to go back in time and, um, yeah, you take a, you're taking, uh, I'm going to paint a good picture here. You're taking the Zodiac out. You're zipping out in the night. You're like one of those night, um, scuba divers that, mm-hmm. you know, like in a, you know, uh, a, a Navy SEAL or something like that. And you're going to go out and you're going to scuba dive and you're like swim up, sneak up to the, the boat, the, the sailboat that you guys are on. And, um, and you're a little kid there on the boat and you, you come up and you come out of the water and, and your young self was like, who's fearless anyway, um, sees this scuba diving older Haley coming out and says, uh, what are you doing here? And you say, well, I've come back to give you the, well, you have to take the, the, uh, what's it called? The, uh, the thing you breathe out of the snorkel. You got to take the snorkel out of your mouth first. And you say, I've come back to give you this one bit of advice. Here's the single most, and then you also have to take your goggles off. Right, right. Yes. Here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the recording self. Uh, I screwed it up. Here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the recording studio yourself one day. What advice would you give your young self? Um, That's a great, that's a very detailed, great (laughs) question. You're very kind. Um, You can do it. Uh, And I mean that in, like, don't, don't, don't wait for someone else to, to, you know, tell you that you're, yes, you can start recording or this is good enough to release or whatever it is. Just get started. Trial and error. Um, yeah. The, the quicker you can, I think with, at the inception of any idea, there's all, always that little bit of like, Ooh, okay, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I like, I'm going to, I need to find, talk to someone who knows and get their opinion on it. That's good too. do that, but also get started on your own. Yeah. Well, um, Haley, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here on the podcast with us. Thank you for putting in all the time and effort to do this. Um, we've gone for a couple of hours now, and it's just awesome to hear oh, you tell stories you so, about all thank this. Thank you so and, much for having me on here and rambling and awkwardly mumbling away. I've really enjoyed this as well, so thank you. Yeah, so Rockstars, a reminder, you can find links to all this stuff we're talking about in the show notes. Um, our guest is Haley McLean. Haley, let the let them know how they can find you online. You can find me at texadamusic.com. Uh, it's T-E-X-A-D-A. And my Instagram uh, is T-E-X-A-D-A music as well. Um, Do you put cool videos of you rocking out on the guitar there? There's some up there, yeah. Right, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying more. I'm enjoying Instagram more these days, which is fun. Um, lots of nerd stuff. So follow me on there and uh, reach out and say hello and let's talk shop. That's, I get a lot of like interesting ideas from, uh, you know, posting like, oh, recording this. If it's a story and someone's like, I've tried that with that. I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. And then we'll just kind of get trading and um, chatting on there. So that's, uh, yeah, another great thing about technology. Um, yeah, my, my music is up on Spotify and iTunes and all the things. Uh, just look up Texada. Probably Texada all my life and the rest will all come up. But, okay, um, cool. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for being on the podcast with us. It's really a pleasure meeting you, and I look forward to um, just hearing you make more music here, around here in Nashville. Thank you. Thank Maybe you we'll much. make that video for the the Tegler totally BTRC should. soon. We totally should. Um, Thanks for listening, you guys.
Yeah, thank you, Rockstars, for putting in the time to listen to. Again, links to everything is in the show notes. I put a YouTube playlist together so you can go listen to um, Haley's music. And uh, you can just find us on on the web at rsrockstars.com. Search for Haley McLean, and you'll find the blog post. We'll see you around the studio, Haley. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, please leave a rating and review on iTunes to help reach more people. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to recordingstudiorockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. And if you want more free content, all you have to do is text RS Rockstars to 33444. Again, that's RS Rockstars to 33444. And I'll keep you in the loop with articles, videos, and podcast updates. And I'll let you know about any upcoming giveaway offers, all totally free. Thanks for listening. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music. Music